You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Our guest today is David A. Fields, and David is founder of Ascendant Consulting and is the author of The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients. And we're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to talk about how to build a consulting business. We're going to learn about his background and his strategy. David, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's really a d- delight to, to be here. I'm a big fan of yours. And this is a fun conversation because I think building a consulting practice, building a consulting business, you know, I've been in consulting probably for 20, I need to say it, 20 plus years now, I guess, if I do the math. And it is, you know, it is, it is not easy. Consulting is kind of an easy business to start, but it's a harder business to scale and it's a harder business to get right in many respects. So I'm, I'm excited about this conversation because I think there's a lot of people out there who are in this boat or in the boat of having built a business, built a practice, and they're trying to figure out how do I take it to the next level? So sure. why don't we start with a little bit of your background? Because I know that you had, you've been in consulting in kind of different areas. Give us a sense of professional background. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. Well, I'll do my best to do the short version. I did <laughs> a, a decade in corporate, uh-huh. um, mostly for uh, GlaxoSmithKline, which yeah. wasn't GlaxoSmithKline at the time, but it is now. Yeah. yeah. So got kind of that, that uh, I was luck fortunate to get that blue chip training. Yeah. Then worked for a boutique consulting firm and helped grow that and, and went in at the bottom and then worked my way up to partner. And over, again, about a, about a decade, nine years, something like that. And one of the uh, other partners and I decided to spin off and form our own firm. And so that worked famously well, I mean, incredibly well for about uh, four uh, weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then my partner decided, you know, this whole entrepreneurial thing, maybe not, not his gig. Yeah. He was not the primary breadwinner. And yeah. so he could do that. And so I found myself with a business, oddly enough, or unfortunately enough. So we were a pair. His job was to bring in the business. He was a relationship guy, yeah. a sales guy, you know, a rainmaker. My job was to be the engine room yeah. because these were the roles we had played working, you know, each of us working our way up to partner at that boutique. Yeah. I, I'm an engine room guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, create cool models and, and great delivery and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so I found myself without a partner, without clients and, and you know, rapidly without money and uh, had to learn. So the first year was it was a total disaster. But by year two. I had done, you know, just shy of, a, of seven figures and then, you know, kind of never looked back. Yeah. Now, some interesting things happened along the way. I changed my model to a general contractor model where I actually ended up being the person who sold business. And then I would bring in subs to do the work, which Got is it. very common now, but wasn't as common 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah. And through that process, I really became a, a student of why um, and how clients choose certain consultants, mm-hmm. because I was choosing consultants for every project. I was a client yeah. and also how you sell and win and win bigger projects and more lucrative projects. Yeah. That model, I mean, because I see that model again and again, you kind of have one partner who's the, or one kind of part leader of the company, who's the, the sales relationship client person and the other person, uh, you know, another one who's very focused on delivery, on operations, on, you know, executing on, on what is sold. Is that, I mean, do you see that as, as a, a pretty typical or pretty standard model for a lot of companies? Well, I, I think it's important to have those roles covered. Yeah. 
what you'll find is, you know, any of your listeners who are in partnerships with one other person, Mm -hmm. they will tell you, you know, that that's not easy. Two person firms tend to be fairly unstable and challenging to pull off over the long run. It's all the struggles of a marriage without the good parts. <laughs> um, and, you know, so, so two people is tough. And I work with a lot of two people firms. Yeah. I was actually up in, uh, well, I won't say the exact city. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Um, <laughs> but I was at a client last week doing a, a session. And it was basically marriage counseling. I mean, I walked into a maelstrom. Yeah. One partner oh, was furious yeah. at the other. I mean, just, I mean, he was almost in tears. And, you know, this is not uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I even find that a, a lot of the situations, like you get brought in on an issue and the, the surface level argument is about one thing that actually seems pretty innocuous. And you realize that this is just a proxy war for, for some historical thing that happened five right. years ago that hasn't it, been resolved. Uh, exactly right. Yeah. The, uh, you know, we can talk about partnerships because the whole idea of partnership is very interesting. And I see a lot of what works and what doesn't work. But at, at any rate, what happened then is uh, at some point, some of the consulting firms I was bringing in as subcontractors started to say, you know, hold on a second. How are you winning all this business? How come when you asked me what I would charge for a project, I said 125 and you sold it for 495? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so purely as a lark, I took on a couple of consulting firms as coaching clients. And it really was just as, you know, this would be kind of funny. I'll, I'll do them a favor. Yeah. That's now 95% of my business. Yeah. It's almost completely crowded out the corporate side. I love doing it. So I basically work only with boutique firms now. I take on some solos to help them in that transition to if they want to build, if they want to be just a successful solo practice, that's fine. Um, yeah. Or if they want to make that really difficult leap. But a lot of what I do is, is, you know, how do we get you from two to 10? How do we get you from 10 to 50? Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the whole thing now. Great niche. I mean, I think that, you know, one of, one of the things, you know, we always talk about is if you want to, if you want to get bigger and if you want to scale and if you want to scale faster, you got to focus, you got to decide on all yeah. the things you're not going to do. So this idea of zeroing in on how to work with boutique consulting firms, um, you know, a great target. Was that a difficult choice for you or was that no. a pretty natural, like pretty obvious, this is what you should be doing? So, well, I follow the market, okay. which is what I always recommend, right? It's, it's the foundational principle in consulting and probably for any service business, but certainly in consulting, the number one principle is being what I call right side up, is understanding that the business isn't about you. Yeah, It's about them. It's about your clients. Yeah. And um, I had learned this when I was at the, the boutique where I'd sort of you know, learn my craft. And then I've learned that here too. It's because the market asked me for this. It's because consultants were saying, how do you do this? Will you help? That I said, sure. So I didn't go out looking for it. What I did is as I was open to the opportunity. Yeah. Pay attention. Pay attention to what what is out there. I think on one hand that that seems kind of (laughs) obvious. On the other hand, I'm sure it's difficult for many people. What ends up getting in people's way of of not just listening, not just following the market. Oh, are you kidding? It's brutally difficult. <laughs> I do I do huge sessions on this. And this is as true with people who are starting up as it is. I'm working with a firm that's about $40 million right now. We had a, a two-day session in New York, and it was a lot of it was how do we get ourselves more focused? Yeah. You know, what you know, so it's you would think this is easy. It's actually very difficult. The big obstacle is the person looking back at you in the mirror. Yeah. Because the, the number one starting place for a typical consulting firm is what have we done in the past? Who are we? Yeah. What's our definition? Who's looking back yeah. at us in the mirror? Yeah. You know, what are we good at? And that's the wrong place to start. 
the right place to start is what are the big market problems? Now, which of those could we solve? But we got to start with the market problems. What does the market want? Because the, the, the thing is, you can learn a new skill. You can learn to solve a problem. Yeah. What you can't do is make people have the problem you solve. At least you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. You're not supposed to. You can't to do change that. what they what they care about. Yeah. Right. So you know, and back yeah, ba back in the days when I was in product management and you know did, ran like cough cold businesses, we would joke about sending sick people on airplanes. You know to to, to, to spread <laughs> the, the flu. You, you, know, you, you can't really do that. Yeah. And so where do you find the insight? I mean, I think it's one thing to say you know follow the market. It's another thing is like where do you actually get the the market insight, the understanding of what the market wants. Like, what are the strategies you recommend, or, or what is the process that you put people through in terms of actually getting really specific about that and really understanding, you know, at a deeper level what the market needs are? So, I, I mean, I have an, an exercise. You're exactly right. I put people through something I call the problemeter, the, which is basically figuring out what's the problem yeah. that you want to solve, yeah. that you want to focus on, because that is the critical piece. This is actually more than anything else what holds back a small company. This is the, one of the, the early hurdles yeah. is figuring out what is that problem. But you know, this is not rocket science. Like most of the consulting and, and service business, it's a very simple business. It's just not an easy business. Yeah. You just have to, to do some research and ask people. Now you have to ask the right question. And one problem is people tend to ask the wrong question. Yeah. People tend to say, hey, Bruce, I'm really thinking about starting a business in extrusion of, of plastic or helping plastic water bottle extruders. What do you think of that? You know, would you think that would be good? That is just fundamentally the wrong question. The right question I want to ask is, hey, Bruce, what problem or problems have been so pressing and urgent and burning for you over the past year or two that you actually spent money to have somebody help you solve them? You know, so I like I like that. I like it for many reasons. But one of the reasons I really like it is because you focus on the money. And I think that's you know, I came out of the lean, agile software development movement and, you know, whole kind of lean product and lean startup sure. and this whole idea of customer development. And one of the things that from a product point of view, people always kind of got wrong was, you know, asking people, well, is this a problem for you? And they would say yes, you know, and, and there would often be lots of problems that they had, but it wasn't necessarily the biggest problem and it wasn't the problem they would put money against. And it, was, it wasn't until you had Money exchanging hands, <laughs> you know, even if it was a, you know, a pre-release, pre-order, you know, but getting them to put money onto the problem was, was a really good indicator, was real evidence that this problem was big enough that we could build a product around it. And I think that's the same thing on the service side, right? You can, you know, when you see people spending money trying to solve something, that's an indicator that it's a problem that, that has some exactly. weight or has some meat. Exactly. And yeah. I'm a huge fan of being a follower. Yeah. So that's why I said I, I didn't want to know, will you spend money on it? I want to know what you have yeah. already spent yeah. money on. Yeah. Because here, here's what I know is if you've spent money on a problem, two things are, are immediately clear to me. One, there's a decent chance you're going to spend money on it again. Mm -hmm. Because people who spend money to solve a problem spend money to solve the same problem over and over again. Yeah. This is why you get junkies of, in various forms of, <laughs> you know, of self-help or of, of because they keep trying to solve that problem. Yeah. And the other thing I know is if you've spent money to solve that problem, there's probably someone like you who's in your position who hasn't spent the money yet, but will. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking, I told one of my clients the other day, I don't want to be the first restaurant on the corner. I want to be the third restaurant on the corner. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I like that. I think that a lot of people are trying to be or, or focus on the idea of being first to market. Well, A, a that they're either trying to be first to market and, and sometimes that's not the best place to be, <laughs> particularly if the market's not developed yet or it hasn't really right. proven yet. The other one is, is that they, um, 
when they see someone already kind of in a market, that kind of turns them off. You know, they say, oh, well, so-and-so yeah. is already doing that. It's like, well, yeah. no, look, if they're doing it, that means that, that means there's money there. That You know, if, they're, yeah. if they've got a successful business, the question is, is how are you going to approach it the same way? Is it different geography? Do you have a different, you know, set of attributes that you're going to sell against? I mean, there's there's room there's room for other players in markets. Well, that's exactly it. There's tons of room. And and actually, so one of the things that I say, which is fairly different, I think, from where people tend to think is uh-huh. I say, don't worry about differentiation. As a matter of fact, don't differentiate. Okay, tell me more about that. Differentiation. So I grew up in consumer products. It was all about differentiation. And then I thought, okay, well, that must be, you know, that's obvious. That's marketing. Differentiate. Well, that's actually all wrong when it comes to consulting. Okay. Because the buyer of consulting services isn't looking for different. What they're looking for is solved. They're looking for credible, reliable solution to their problem. So if you say, look, I've got something really new, whiz-bang, different, their reaction is going to be, oh, that doesn't sound proven. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be the, the first one to try it. This isn't technology. I don't want to be the first one with an iPod. I want just my problem solved. I want you to fix, you know, help me get my software out the door quicker or help me with my leadership issue. Or Right? right? We're not, in most cases, about 95% of cases, they're trying to solve a pain. Yeah. And so, they don't want different. So less about difference and more about proven, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. Credible, yeah. reliable. And as you said, there's plenty of business out there. I mean, yeah. last I looked, the U.S. economy was somewhere around $14 trillion in, in advisory services alone, advisory yeah. services of all sorts. So the folks who are listening here, yeah. whether you know, they're you're in architectural engineering or any, any kind of advisory services, is somewhere around $800 billion, yeah. which is enough for you, Bruce, and me and like six of your listeners to divvy up and yeah. probably leave you know, at least a little bit for some other folks. Just a bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> And we're generous that way. <laughs> so, so talk to me about the proven because I think that's that's an interesting angle. Like how so prospects, customers want want problems solved, uh, and yeah. then they, they want to know they're going to get solved. They will pay for solutions that they feel are reliable, credible. How do you deliver a message? How do you deliver a, a pitch that gives that to them that that is successful in closing those deals? Okay. Can, can I gently push back on one sure. word? Yeah. I'm going to gently push back on the word pitch. I don't, okay. I don't think consultants pitch. Pitching is let me have your, your money. I'm going to do something cool and along the way you'll benefit. Okay. Whereas consulting is let me help you and along the way I'll benefit. Got it. And, you know, and again, because we're not, we don't create problems. If someone has a problem, we can help them with it. Uh-huh. But the, the credibility piece, which starts to lead towards trust, and trust is the number one determinant of which consulting firm, if any, a client will, will turn to, and probably which accountant they'll turn to, which, you know, whether attorney, architect, you name it, is going to be based on trust, some belief that you can help me, that you have my interests in mind, that you're not going to make me look bad, those being the three components of trust. There are long-term ways to build trust, and there are short-term ways to build trust. There, clearly, the, the more expertise you have and that you're able to demonstrate, the easier it is. The number one thing clients look for, unfortunately, is industry expertise. Oh, geez. Yeah. So let's talk about that one a little bit, because I think that's, that, that is uh, sort of the biggest issue I find in, in most of these kind of you know, consulting situations is on one hand, you know, a client wants industry expertise, you know, but they don't, they don't want people that are working for competitors and things like that. Like, how do you, how do you kind of balance this? You know, I'm, 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 I'm not sharing competitive information. I'm not working with your direct competitors, but I want you to have worked with your, my direct competitors. Like what's the, how do you, how do you bridge that gap or how do you, (laughs) frankly, I don't worry about it. Okay. And 
I will say I work with your direct competitors. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you about them any more than I would tell them about you. If need be, depending on on the situation, we will have different teams working on your businesses. Okay, so you'll you you want that expertise, as you said. You you want someone to work on your your competitors who understands the business, just not someone who will allow your knowledge of of uh, them confidential information. Right. Yeah. To, to affect what we, you know, advise you and, and vice versa, because that wouldn't be kosher. Yeah. But I, I work with uh, you. You'd have to pay me huge premiums to get an exclusive in an area. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, I, again, on the development side, that was always the issue, too. It's like we want, uh, you know, we want you to have, you know, large code repositories of all the things that we typically need in our industry. You know, anything you write for us has got to be proprietary. <laughs> so, like, we want the benefit of you sharing everyone else's, you know, all, yeah. everyone else's code base, but we want our code base be yeah. locked away. So, yeah. uh, it's always a challenge. Um, well, you know, it's good. It's good to ask for that, and yeah. I appreciate you asking. Yeah. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. And in fact, it's not really what you want. And let me explain why. Yeah, or you're going to pay a, a, a significant premium. Yeah, but really the premium they'd have to pay, they they wouldn't be able to swallow. Yeah, well, typically that's the counter. That's the that gets them back to okay, fine, we'll <laughs> we, we won't make it exclusive. Yeah, um, good. Yeah, it's going to be five, ten x. I mean, and yeah. and uh, but yeah, that's in most cases. A matter of fact, the research on this is unequivocal that the number one attribute clients look for is industry expertise, which I find you know enormously frustrating. That's not what they should be looking for. And my first book was written for clients because remember my business started off as a GC model and it was all about helping clients. And so my first book was how to hire, how to find and hire consultants. And I said, stop looking for situation expertise. You don't need someone who's expert in your situation. They're walking all around your building. You need someone who's (laughs) expert in the outcome you're trying to achieve. And that's, you know, that, that was like beating my head against the wall that that might be right, but clients don't care. They're like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Have you worked in my industry? So is this like a, just, they need to check the box or is this, this is, so this is more than just, I'm not going to start talking to you unless I think that you've got industry expertise. It was, it was something that they were literally using as a criteria for making a final purchase decision or hiring. It's it's very often a criteria for a final purchase. You know, for it's a qualifier to even get in the door in many cases. Now it's not always, that's not a hundred percent. That's just the number one attribute. Yeah. And so it's far easier to build your business if you have industry focus. These folks I was just talking about that are on my mind because I'm actually meeting with them again this afternoon. They're at about 40 million are completely focused on one narrow aspect of the insurance business. Right. Which is very common. There's a group I work with down in Virginia focused in a very narrow aspect of pharma. And we've built them quickly over the couple of years from you know basically startup to I think they're going to do about four or five million this year. Didn't yeah. so bad in a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, it's about a 10 million dollar group I work with out in California that focuses exclusively on municipal waste. Um <laughs> Yeah. Right. Solid way. You know, it, talk about focus. Yeah. You know, one narrow thing. And yet, you know, it's it's millions and millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, that's that's where you build. That's the basis for a strong firm. And so do you advise do you advise your clients to to choose that so they kind of get through that hurdle or get over that hurdle of industry sure. expertise? Okay. And then so then what else? So once you kind of have the industry expertise angle, what else goes into the kind of process for helping prospects trust you or, or feel confident that you're going to be able to solve their problems. Okay. So, so yeah, so because we got into this through trust. So part yeah. of it is industry expertise. If obviously the, if you have case studies, if you've done it before, like you and I have been around for a while. So the a certain amount of gray yeah. hair does help because yeah. we've seen it. We've yeah. been there, right? We've made the mistakes yeah. and, and seen how to do it right. 
So all of those things help. You know, I publish, a, I write a fair amount. And so people can see what my knowledge base, when yep. I'm on stage, people can see it. So some of that becomes very easy. You can demonstrate and you can get a brand over time. But there are things you can do very quickly that will help you build trust. Yep. A few of them, just for instance. Yeah. Uh, one of them is, is listen. Yeah. You know, it's remarkable. Most people do a pretty lousy job of listening. Listening is very difficult. But if you will just listen, you will build trust. The person at least knows that you are hearing them. Yeah. Right. That you are paying attention to them, that you can re you, you're listening well enough. You can reflect back that you're focused on them. That builds trust because they know most people don't focus on them. Most people aren't listening. Most people are just rehearsing what they're going to say next. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, there's this kind of trust equation out there and I remember one of the variables being this the the, the to the extent one of the negative variables was to the extent that they perceive you as self-focused, right? And if you come across as being self-focused, not them focused, that's going to reduce your trust. So, this Absolutely. idea of yeah, if you can listen and actually, you know, show them that you're hearing what they're saying and actually, you know, thinking about it and and reflecting it back to them using active listening and stuff like that stuff will will increase your level of trust. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes I'll a lot give of you, sense. I'll give you one little technique. This is more technique-ish than philosophical. Sure. Good yeah. part of what we're talking about is philosophical. So let me give you something that, that is just flat out technique. It's something I call loopbacks. And it's making a small promise and then living up to it. So for example, let's say you and I are having a conversation, Bruce, and you, and you ask me, you know, could I give you a couple of examples? I might say, yeah, I can give you a couple of examples. If you don't mind, let's get back to that in five minutes, just so we can finish a couple of things we're, we're talking about. And then five minutes from now, I say, now you wanted some examples. Let me give you those examples. Okay. What yeah. I've done is I've made a small promise yeah. and then I've looped back to that promise. Delivered on it. Proof, exactly. proof, proof delivery. Exactly. You see, what happens is, is when you're working with a prospect, a potential client, a potential customer, they want to trust you, but they don't know, they don't have any experience with you on the big things. They don't have any experience with you delivering on the big commitments. And so all they can do is base their judgment on how you perform on the little things. Yeah. Did you show up on time? If you promised something, if you promised materials, did you send it to them? Right. All those little pieces. And you can actually create opportunities for yourself to demonstrate that you live up to your commitments. Yeah, I like that. I think I, I use that a lot of, you know, promising to send them something, a follow up, you know, with an article or a book or something like that. And, you know, it, that's important for me in the beginning of the relationships is is having those little things where you're providing, making promises and delivering and, and sending it to them later and vice versa. I think that's the thing I'm always looking for, too, is is finding ways for them to make little promises and and deliver on it because that shows me that they're interested and they're they're engaged in the relationship and the conversation by actually following through on things. If they don't deliver that that's an indicator for me. Yeah, that's very smart. That's great. Yeah. So what else about trust? So so these are the things that a company a firm can do to build trust in the kind of sales conversation in that sales process. Sure. Anything else that we haven't talked about? Oh, I mean, there's, there's tons, right? Because there's whole books written on this. And this is just one one aspect. Uh -huh. I mean, ultimately, the biggest, I think, skill sets that are critical in this is one, the ability to listen. Yeah. I teach half day modules for firms on listening. It's, it's one of my most popular ones. It's actually one of the most fun ones to do. Yeah. And no, it's not what you think. We don't just sit for half an hour quietly listening. Um, <laughs> you know, though that would be fun too. You know, so listening. So that's half of it. But then the other half is being able to take what you've listened to and reframe. Yeah, you process. create trust, you build credibility 
when you are able to demonstrate to your, your client that you know their world perhaps better than they do, or you can see it in a way that they haven't thought of before, but that will be incredibly beneficial. So is this, is this just reflecting back to them? This is what I've heard you say is this, or is this, I've heard no. you say this and, and I'm thinking of it this way, like you're adding something yes. new to it. Oh okay. no, no. Yeah. In yeah. matter of fact, ideally it's, here's what I've heard you say. And that makes a lot of sense. In fact, that, that is a very common way to think of it. If you're open to it, I'd like you to show you a different way to think about this. Here's how I would do this. I would think about this in three parts. And now you're creating a model for that. You're yeah. creating a framework, something yeah. they can hang their hat on and go, holy cow. Yeah. I didn't realize that, you know, that's how it worked. So consulting to me is a very simple business. There are only, there's really only three parts plus strategy. There's only three parts. You've got to win engagements and you have to create value. That's the spinning cycle. I mean, that's the heart of it, right? Yeah. We win engagements and we profitably create value. Underneath it, you have infrastructure that keeps that cycle spinning. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the whole business. Super simple. Once you understand that model, then you can work off of it. Then you can build your business. Yeah. You can see what do we say? What do we need to do with each of these and wrap strategy around it? What do we need to do with them? Yeah. So that's just you know one example of a simple model and being able to give your prospects a way of thinking of the world that simplifies it and helps them and is different and gives them an insight builds trust, builds credibility. And really, I mean, it shows you know what you're doing, which hopefully you do. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that helps, of course. Well. <laughs> the best way to be trusted is to be trustworthy. Just to, yes, just to, to be able to successfully deliver on, on what you're promising. So what else typically goes kind of right or wrong inside consulting firms in terms of like, if we get the, if we get the market focus right, if we get yep. the trust right, you know, what are the big things that you need to you know, focus on or sure. uh, put in place to successfully scale a, a consulting firm? Sure. Well, so there are three very common challenges in, in a boutique firm. A boutique firm is one challenge they're facing is how do we get more rain and especially get more rainmakers? I was talking yesterday to the COO of a firm that just called me and said, we've got 200 consultants, probably two of whom are producing 75% of the revenue. Wow. Not, that's not unusual. Yeah. Okay, so how do we get the rest of the rainmakers? We have 30 people at the rainmaking level. How do we get them to more consistently create rain? How do we, when we get rain, how do we make that rain bigger, right? So that's one problem, more rain from more rainmakers. And that comes from having the right process more than anything, right? Because, because uh, uh, and that's gonna be true in almost all these cases. The second big challenge for a boutique firm is how do we profitably scale? Yeah. How do we grow this thing and produce and continue to produce good results with quality. Well, is that, and is that typically the issue? Is that quality tends to yes. suffer? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's easy to do when you're five people and it's, you know, very dynamic and you're all talking to each other and you can maintain right. everything. You get right. to 500 and all of a sudden that communication starts to break yeah. down. The firms, there's some natural inflection points. And by the way, only 1% of consulting firms make it past $20 million. 1% so, in, in number. So only 1% of the, okay, got it. 1% of all firms um, get past that. Yep. So, you know, so let's say you're though you're, you're trying to build it to 10 million or 15 million. There are some important inflection points to get past. Once you get a lot past 20 million, once you're at, well, this firm actually yesterday is 100 million. Once you, you start getting 100, 200, 300 million, you actually look much more like any corporation. Yeah. And the problems are a lot like corporations. But, you know, sub 30 million, the problems are quite different. The, you know, number one being how do we get more rain from one, more rainmakers? Number two being how do we scale profitably? And number three being how do we attract and retain top talent? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, talent's always an issue. Exactly. Yeah, talent is always an issue. And those are not completely separate issues. They're intertwined. Now, often there will be an aspiration that will tack on. 
um, that I hear, which is how do I get out? How do I sell? Yeah. And, you know, my response is always, I'm not actually here to help you build a business to sell. I'm here to help you build a business you want to keep. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's because yeah. that's where I like to play. You might want to sell it, but I, and I'm not an investment banker. Well, and I think he, also, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if, if you want to keep it, that's going to be more likely that other people want it too. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> if you, if you don't want to keep it, there's probably a reason that other people don't want it then. Yeah, that's true, though. There are some differences between yeah. building a firm to sell yeah. and building a firm to keep. Yeah. And you invest more in a firm you want to keep. And, you know, whereas a, a firm you want to sell, you can do some short term things that will drive up revenue. But to, to really make a healthy, growing firm, in consulting especially, you have to invest in, in every, what everybody says is the number one asset, but we tend to underinvest in, and that's the people. Yeah. And where do you invest? I mean, so it's, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, invest in your people. But how do you actually do that? Like, what are the areas that you look at or you suggest firms, you know, invest in in terms of, you know, talent? Yeah, well, talent acquisition and, and talent management. It's actually okay. the first staff position I recommend adding. When you get to a size where you can have staff people, meaning someone who's not in some way creating value directly for a client, either because they're an analyst behind the scenes or they're a consultant or a principal or an owner facing the client, what's the first position you have that doesn't do any of that? It's a talent development person. Someone knows how to find talent, how to develop them, how to pay attention to your people, figure out who needs what kind of, of support, what kind of prodding, what kind of growth. The firms I work with that have put that in place accelerate past the rest of them. They yeah. zoom past the, the rest because their people are all, they're digging it, right? They have a passion for it that's been yeah. stoked. They're living it. They're seeing they're growing. They're winning more clients. It makes all the difference in the world. I think it makes a lot of sense. The challenge or the, I think the misstep a lot of folks make in that, in that move though, is they end up hiring like an HR person who ends up being like an admin, right. you know, they, no, you know, someone who's making sure about. that there's a policy in place and a, a time off manual, <laughs> like all these things. Yeah, no. yeah, And that's not, because I think that's the, uh, that's, that's the miss. You out, yeah. You, you outsource that stuff. Yeah. That's the, like you said, HR stuff that you can outsource, Yeah, but people development, talent management, thinking through what skills do we need to give our people and then how do we give them? And then again, on, and on an individual level, how do we develop these people and do we have the right people? How do we make sure we've got A players? Who's identifying the B players and, and helping them walk out the door? Yeah. Is this uh, culture? I mean, is this we're talking about, you know, the actual company culture as well? Sure. Part yeah. of it. Having a culture on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah, every, every company has a culture, whether or not it's a good culture, it's a different question. Right. Yeah. That's part of it. Cause so someone who, who has the time and wherewithal to really think that through and really think through those, those organizational issues. One of my clients is struggling with this because the owners are at the, you know, are, are our age and all there's no one in the middle. And then they have a bunch of millennials and folks <laughs> are hiring directly from, yeah. from school and they're absolutely mystified. Uh, like, like what is making these kids think? What's making them tick? How come they don't behave the way we behaved, or at least the way we think we behaved? Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, when we look at our past, we rose tinted glasses. Yeah. And you know what they need actually is someone who can help them manage and develop these millennials. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. As the senior folks move into these leadership positions and are looking at uh, you know developing younger younger talent, that that is a whole kind of art in itself. You know, I've seen people that can do that really really well, and I've some people that just struggle enormously with with figuring out how to develop younger earlier stage talent. It's uh it's not easy. No, it's not. The whole human capital side is very very difficult. It's important, but it, you know, it's one piece. You yeah. still do need to be able to make rain, and you got to have a revenue generating engine yeah. that works. 
and yep. that you can rely on. And you have to have scalable delivery. Yep. No, now, if you sense. get those three together, then, you know, then you're starting to, to cook with gas, as they say. Yeah. So now I'm curious, how do you typically work with clients? Like, What's your engagement structure with the firms that you're advising coaching? Well, it depends which of those three they're looking for. Okay. Right. So are they looking for, for overall growth uh, or are they looking for, you know, you just help us on our revenue generation? Uh, I do. It's probably about 50 50. Okay. Right. So when it comes to can you help us attract and retain the right people? I don't play in that area, actually. Yeah. Okay, got um, it. You advise I'm them just, that it's something they need to fix, but <laughs> that's not your area of. of, of well, focus. I'm not a recruiter. Yeah. I'm not, you know, so I do the first two. I don't do the third one. You know, how do we make more rain? Uh, or how do we scale the business? If it's scaling the business, it, it doesn't look that different from any other consulting gig. I, I have a diagnostic that's pretty well proven. We spend a, a couple of days together. I interview tons of people in addition and often talk to clients. Uh, yesterday, I was on a, a ride along actually with a client at their client to understand how they are are presenting, how they're perceived. You know, so I tear Great apart the, the business. Yeah, I like you know? it. Yeah, I mean it's great. I, you know, it's a nice diagnostic. There's there's 19 levers we can look at to see which ones need to be be focused on, and then we set priorities, focus, and and knock them out. It's not overly complex, you know, as in any <laughs> but other business. It's not business. easy. <laughs> yeah, well, well, as in any other business, it's you know, it's hard to fix it from the inside. Yeah. I have a business coach that helps me with my business. You say, wait a second, I, I grow consulting firms for a living. Why would I have someone help me? Because I'm in it. Yeah, exactly. You're in the bottle. You can't read exactly it. Exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so, you know, so some of it is is helping them see the the obvious. Some of it is helping them just focus. You know, <laughs> yeah. someone has to smack them and say, no, don't don't <laughs> hang on another project. Let's get this thing yeah. fixed. Yeah. But some of it, of course, is a lot of it is experience. I've built a lot of firms. And so I can say, don't go down that path. You can, by the way. I'm just going to tell you it probably won't work. Yeah, this is probably what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And here's a path that I've seen work over and over and over again. So, you know, it's not overly complex. You know, it's just a path that seems to work. Yeah. David, if people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get a hold of you and get more information? Website's easy. DavidAfields.com. And pretty much everything is there. Easy to, I'm easy to reach. Yeah, it's a great site. I've, I've gone through it a couple of times. I'll make sure that the URL is in the show notes here so people can click through and get more information, contact you. Uh, David, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. You asked great questions. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, this was fun. I mean, I'm sure we could go on for another couple of hours, but we'll set up some time to do more detailed episodes in the future. Perfect. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.